On this episode of This is Game Boy Light, I try to drain your batteries. Hello everyone and welcome back to a back-to-back light episode of This Is Game Boy. I'm E-Blooded Candy and before we dive into this episode's topic, just a bit of what I've been doing since I haven't been really hanging around Twitter or Twitch all that much lately. Um, Towards the end of last month, uh, Shadowlands expansion for World of Warcraft came out, so I've been putting... uh, been putting some work <laughs> into that expansion to say the least. Uh, Blizzard did a nice job with the, with the X-Pack, so I'm actually having a lot of fun with it. I already got a couple 60s rolling around. Uh, you know, a new patch came out today that introduced the raids and some more end-game leveled stuff, so probably dive a bit more into that this week and weekend. Um, I've dabbled into Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which came out, um, the middle of last month. I have about 20 to 25 hours into the game, and then I broke it. Uh, I found a game-breaking bug, which does not allow you to progress through the story. So, that took a backseat, and I will probably re- I'll probably re-pick it back up, because I have to restart the entire game again. I don't know, probably around Christmas time when I have a bit more free time for myself because I do love Assassin's Creed games. I don't care how broken they are. Um, I've been on some various speedrunning projects. Uh, every every once in a while you'll see the tweet come out of the world records or the speedrun.com stuff or if you're in the Game Boy Discord, you know, me piping in there just being like, hey, password percent is dumb. Don't do it. Um... Along with speedrunning marathons, I uh, just finished a couple weeks ago Retro Gaming Live TV's uh, third annual Feed the Kids marathon, which was phenomenal. I got to run Yearwalk, um, which is a Swedish folklore game, and I've been trying to get Yearwalk into a marathon for like a year and a half, so it was awesome. Just absolutely awesome to actually uh, be able to showcase that game in front of a in front of an audience. Um, I'm also prepping for a Donkey Kong Country Trilogy playthrough. Um, my community raised um, 90,000 channel points on Twitch, which are just arbitrary currencies that you earn just by watching my, my channel. And um, they all, everyone donated up to 90,000 points, so I told them at 90k I would do a uh, very long stream of all three Donkey Kong Countries for the Super Nintendo. So I'm I'm... I'm Trying to get mind, mind and body <laughs> ready, ready for that stretch of things. Um, I finally got around to playing Star Fox Two because it's on the uh, Switch Super Nintendo uh, app thing, and um, I thought Star Fox Two was absolutely amazing. Having played Star Fox One on Super Nintendo, Star Fox sixty four, Assault the if you call the Wii U game a game, I've played them all, but I haven't played Star Fox 2. And like, even though Star Fox 2 is an exceptionally short game, right, and it was was never publicly released until you know a couple years ago, 
Star Fox 2 might be my favorite Star Fox in the series. I I absolutely thought the game was phenomenal, phenomenal, and uh, it catered to my play style of how I like to play those types of like flying rail shooters. So I really, really, really enjoy Star Fox 2. Um, besides playing video games, I, I've been doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff. So, um. Yeah, I've dabbled in some video games, but a lot of my time has been going into scanning. So, um, like Mo made a light earlier about the Game Boy database. Uh, I've been scanning manuals, labels, boxes, motherboards, <laughs> like you name it. I've been trying to get all this information gathered up on my end to uh, deliver it to legs for the Game Boy database. So, that... Um, that has kept me very busy in my non-video game time. So even though I don't show my face all that much anymore, just know that I'm still very involved. Um, but today's topic, we are going to dive into the vast world of Game Boy accessories or peripherals, whatever you want to call them, ranging from the Light Boy to the Sonar, uh, this is probably going to be a multi-part episode, series, episodic series, whatever you want to call it, uh, a volume, <laughs> where we explore just the very various options that we had between the good, the bad, and the ugly of all of these accessories, so stay tuned. So, some of the first things we should just talk about are the very obvious things, right? We have the Super Game Boy, the Super Game Boy 2, the transfer pack that was for the N64, and the Game Boy Player. Um, let's start where it all started, right? The origin. Super Game Boy 1 was, was released in 1994, developed, published by Nintendo. Uh, this allowed you to play your gray and black cart uh, Game Boy games on your TV via the Super Nintendo or your Super Famicom. Um, it turned our black and white games into specialty colors by allowing us to change the palette color whenever you hit L and R on the Super Nintendo controller. From there, you had something like, what was it, like 32 different options for a palette. You had, what, five different options for different types of borders and within those borders you had other options like my personal favorite is the dolphin border on the super game boy 2 with the uh, palette i believe it's 4b 10 out of 10 <laughs> um the special super super game boy enhanced games contained a bit more custom color palette and a specialty border uh, to display when you were playing it. So if you popped in uh, Kirby's Dreamland 2, 
Um, we got Super Metroid 2, Super Mario Land 2, uh, what other 2s can I think of? Where you pop it in, you get a little bit of specialty color palette in the actual gameplay itself, but also on the edge of the borders, the edge of the borders, the borders, that makes a bit more sense, you have a nice specialty border that catered to the game that you are playing. If you are playing Pokemon, say you're playing Pokemon Red, you're going to have a red red border that features some of the Pokemon Red characters. Uh, if you're playing Kirby Star Stacker, you're going to have a border that features Kirby's friends. You're going to have Ku, Kine, and um, Rick. Um, and then Kirby, obviously. So, uh, the, the borders themselves, if they're Super Game Boy Enhanced, give you more a more personalized experience, a more unique experience playing them on the Super Game Boy. Uh, and the way you can tell if they were Super Game Boy Enhanced is that on the cartridge or on the box itself... It would have the image of a Super Game Boy uh, icon on it that would just be like SGB enhanced or something. So you kind of knew right away what you were about to get your hands on if you were playing, if you were like me and played a lot on the Super Nintendo. Uh, when I was growing up, my Super Nintendo was basically a glorified Game Boy. Um, in 1998, though, we shook a little bit. We, we, we shook some things up in 1998. Uh, following the Super Game Boy 1, Japan would release, or Nintendo Japan, the country Japan, Nintendo would release the Super Game Boy 2 that was only released in Japan. Uh, the Super Game Boy 2 would grant you different border colors, and it now offers a link port on the side of it to allow you to play with a friend if you wanted to play Burger Time Deluxe. Or, obviously, later on, it let you connect a Game Boy printer, which we will touch base on probably in the next episode. With these two releases of the Super Game Boy, there would be some hardware alterations between them, deeming one more accurate than the other. So, because the Super Nintendo cannot emulate Game Boy hardware at full speed, the Super Game Boy actually consists of the same hardware as the original handheld, Inside the cartridge is a separate CPU, uh, the cartridge as in the Super Game Boy, <clears throat> that processes the game while the Super Nintendo only provided the means for the user input, uh, output of graphics to the screen, and additional coloring. A uh, very similar technique was used uh, with the Atari 5200 version of the Atari 2600 adapter. I know this is a Game Boy podcast. But I'm a big fan of Atari as well. <laughs> so, the more you know. Um, the original Super Game Boy is known to play uh, is known to play the game program and its audio 2.4% faster than other Game Boy hardware. Uh, this is due to the Super Nintendo's clock speed divided by 5. We're going to get a little technical into this because we're deep diving into some of these accessories. Um... So the timing issues can be rectified uh, by adding an appropriate crystal oscillator to the Super Game Boy and disconnecting the Super Game uh, the Super Nintendo's clock source. Uh, the Super Game Boy Two would then come around uh, with some some alterations of its own. Whenever you had a whenever you have a link cable connected to another source, there is a green LED that pops up. You have a red power LED indicator showing that things are on and working. 
and the Super Game Boy 2 runs at the exact speed of the Game Boy. Uh, remember, the original Super Game Boy 1 ran 2.4% faster. In Japan, again, in Japan, we would have um, a special Super Game Boy controller uh, released by Hori, Hori, H-O-R-I, that name will come up again later in this episode, I promise you, uh, called the Super Game Boy Commander, or SGB Commander. This controller, uh, aside from the four, the four Game Boy buttons, the A, B, Start, and Select, also had four Super Game Boy-specific buttons, which could enable the user to mute the sound, reduce the speed of the game, change the colors, and modify the display window, and an additional switch to provide, uh, or provided to alternate between Super Game Boy mode and regular Super Famicom mode, so you can use the controller to play your Super Famicom games. Um, I would love to have one of these controllers, by the way. So if you're out there and you want to like give me something for Christmas, SGB Commander controller would be great. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, but with the famous success. Um, always comes aftermarket options. Uh, See America, there is some history there. If you've never heard of the name See America, look into your NES library, look for a gold cartridge with a little toggle switch on the back. Typically it'll be a four and one sports game. It'll say See America on there, I promise. See <laughs> America had a Game Boy to NES adapter Developed by Biederman Design Labs. Um, I couldn't find much more about this. Uh, a lot of sources claim that it exists, but I could not find any, any more information about it other than it exists. Uh, however, Intelligent Systems, that name might sound familiar to some of you. They work very closely with Nintendo. They did Fire Emblem. Um, had the Wide Boy 2. Which connected the Famic which connected to a Famicom or NES. The big difference with this was um, the big difference between this and the Super Game Boy was that the Wide Boy didn't use anything except for the video memory for the NES and Famicom. Even the controller itself was high was hardwired into the Wide Boy. So as we say goodbye to the Super Nintendo. See a Super Nintendo, you were good while you lasted. We moved on to a pretty mediocre console called the, called the Nintendo 64. Um, if you've all been listening to the podcast for a long time, you all know that I do not like the N64. I think it is a garbage console. Um, <laughs> the N64, though, would grace us with a little game called Pokemon Stadium that came out in 1999 in Japan and 2000 everywhere else in the world. With this game came a small controller attachment called the Transfer Pack. This attachment snapped into the back of your controller, and you could play the six or seven, if you're in Japan, different Pokemon games. Um, the only way to play these games was to boot up Pokemon Stadium, go to Game Boy Tower, and whatever Game Boy game that you had in your Transfer Pack, you could play. The one problem I had with the transfer pack was that it too snugly kept your Game Boy games in. I actually ruined my Pokemon Red label because of the transfer pack. Um, long, 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 long time ago. 
was not very happy about. I'm still not very happy about it, and I'm 33 years old. <laughs> so, not happy at all about it. Um, however, with um, as the, as the N64 lived on, and as this transfer pack came out, you know, kind of early on. Uh, other N64 games would actually take advantage of this transfer pack. Uh, kind of dominantly Japanese games, but we do have some good ones here. So the Game Boy Camera, you could use that uh, with Mario Artist, which is the N64 game, uh, to transfer images you've taken from the Game Boy Camera over to Mario Artist. And you can edit them and do whatever you want with them. Mario Golf Game Boy Color. You could match with Mario Golf N64, and all the characters from the Game Boy Color version can be transferred over to the N64 version. Mario Tennis Game Boy Color paired with Mario Tennis N64, pretty similar to Mario Golf. Um, all of the characters from the Game Boy Color version can be transferred over to the N64 version, and you can also unlock six additional quartz. Uh, in the console version, and four additional characters in the portable version. Mickey Speedway USA. Um, uploading your Game Boy Color data to the N64 data will unlock Huey as a playable character. Um, any video game with PD Ultraman Battle Collection 64. Uh, inserting any Game Boy or Game Boy Color video game into the transfer pack will allow you to create your own character in the N64 title. Perfect Dark. Uh, this one here was a bit of a rumor. Well, not a rumor, but it was never confirmed from what I could read. I read like five or six different things about the Perfect Dark one. This one was never fully confirmed, and some say that it wasn't completely finished because Perfect Dark was a little bit rushed out. But, if it is true, gives you various special weapons including the cloaking device, Hurricane Fists, R-Tracker, and a cheat code that will unlock all of the game's guns. Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow tied with Pokemon Stadium 1. Battle your Pokemon from your Game Boy games onto Pokemon Stadium. Unlock rewards for the Game Boy. Unlock rewards for the Game Boy games and play the Game Boy games on TV via Super Game Boy Emulation. All main Pokemon games, Game Boy and Game Boy Color, tied with Pokemon Stadium 2. Same as Pokemon Stadium, though the amount of available Game Boy games has increased to include the second generation titles, so your Silver Gold. Uh, and whatever else was out. Super Robot Tyson Link Battler. Paired with Super Robot Tyson 64. Unlock new units to use the N64 version. Um, and then... Keto Transformers Beast Wars Beast Senshi Psycho Katisen. Yep, nailed it. 10 out of 10. T paired with Transformers Beast Wars Metals. 64. Always gotta have a 64 at the end of it. Always. Pokemon messed up. Unlock Megatron X in the N64 game after beating the N64 game with Megatron. So, most people just think transfer pack on the, on the N64 with Pokemon, right? Like, it only works with Pokemon. Pokemon's the only thing worthwhile for that transfer pack, which ultimately is true. Uh, however, 
other N64 games did take uh, advantage of some of the uh, some of the technical aspects of the transfer pack itself. Um, so with the transfer pack out now. And things looking good, honestly, for the N64. As much as I kind of poop on the console, the console brought a, a lot of a lot of breath to the video game industry. More specifically, like the Pokemon, you know, world, where people are now being able to battle one another on a big screen with 3D effects and God knows what else is going on now. Right? We have a big thing coming, so. We can kind of put the transfer pack on the on the back burner for now, but I want to talk about intelligent systems. There's that name again. Um, whom came through and created the Wide Boy 64. Now the Wide Boy 64 was never commercially available and was used in the Pokemon League Summer Training Tour of 1999, and the Wide Boy 64 was only available to developers and magazines for a pretty steep price of $1,400 each. Um, the, Canadian, the Canadian Children's Game Show Video and Arcade Top 10 would actually use the Wide Boy 64 adapters so that contestants could play Game Boy titles on some of the later episodes. So give you some insight on how this wide boy thing works and see if I can paint a picture in your head on what this thing looks like. It is the shape of an N64 um, cartridge, the bottom part, you know, like a half circle looking thing, but it's tall. It's about as tall as a Super Game Boy, maybe a little bit taller. And it has a uh, Game Boy slot that you would put in your Game Boy or your Game Boy Color um, cart into. And then right below that, it had a ribbon cable that you would plug into. So this is where things get a little crazy, is that the Wimmer, how I said the Wide Boy 2, never used anything except for the video output for the Famicom and NES. Well, this is very similar as well, too. So the Wide Boy 64... What it did is it had a ribbon cable coming from the front of the actual cartridge itself that would plug into the back of a developmental Game Boy. So if you had a Game Boy Color or a Game Boy Brick, I even think Game Boy Advance was supported later on, you could plug this ribbon into your very special Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance and it would let you use the Game Boy itself instead of the N64 controller or whatever else to do whatever you needed to do with the Game Boy game. Actually a super, super cool idea. It looks out of this world amazing, um, but they are expensive. A Wide Boy 64, you're looking at today's, today's economy, you're looking at around 2300 bucks if you can find one. And the special develop the special developmental Game Boys that attach themselves to it, you're looking at about five or six hundred dollars just for that. So, in total, you're probably looking at like three grand to get the whole setup just going, and hoping that they work. That's the next part about that collecting piece. So, out with the N64, thank God. But comes the next, in my opinion, mediocre. <laughs> 
console, uh, and that would be the GameCube. Um, so we finally have the game, the Game Boy Player now coming to GameCube. So in 2003, an attachment for the GameCube called the Game Boy Player allowed you to play your original Game Boy games, your Game Boy colored games, that's black and see-through carts, and now your Game Boy Advance games. So, what does all this mean? How does all this work? So, you, we have this other peripheral here, and at the bottom of the GameCube, there are a couple additional ports. More specifically, there's a high-speed port and a little screw thing right in the center. So the Game Boy Player is a dock that attaches itself to the bottom of the GameCube and attaches itself inside of the high-speed port. That's how everything gets connected. That's how everything gets read. Then there's a little screw thingy on the bottom. You get that screwed into the bottom of the GameCube to, to secure it. Now, the Game Boy Player itself is region-free. You can play any game you possibly want from any region in it. No problems at all. The problem that comes with regioning is the boot-up disc for the Game Boy Player. So the Game Boy Player came with its own special boot-up disc to tell the GameCube, hey, we're playing Game Boy, we're not playing Smash Brothers or Eternal Darkness or whatever. We're going to play some Game Boy, we need a boot-up disc. That boot-up disc's region code needs to match the region code of the GameCube. Uh, that is the only region locking with the Game Boy Player that has. So if you bought a Japanese GameCube and bought an American Game Boy Player disc, the two won't work because the, the region codes will not match one another. <coughs> so, in order to play on the Game Boy Player, you had three options. You actually had a lot of options to play on the game on the, the Game Boy Player. You could use the crappy GameCube controller that hurt your hands. Uh, don't recommend it. You could buy a specialty cable that connected your Game Boy Advance, your handheld Game Boy Advance, uh, whether it was the clam or the wide, and you can plug that into a controller port on your GameCube, and you could use your Game Boy Advance as a controller for the Game Boy player. Which is actually super cool, and that's actually how I typically play on my Game Boy Player. Uh, the only problem with it is, is that you still have to have AA batteries in your Game Boy Advance in order to use it as a controller. Even though there is no video being spit onto the actual controller itself, and you're not playing from the controller, like staring at the controller, you still need to have batteries in it to power it on. It does not power through the cable itself. Uh, obviously, this was fixed later on with the battery pack for one of the SP series. But uh, And then the third option is Hori. Hori, again, came in clutch and created a um, SNES-like controller for the GameCube. Because Hori knew that the GameCube controller was garbage. It even looked dumb. Don't at me. I know what I said. Hori came through and made a very comfortable and a very appealing GameCube controller that was specifically for the Game Boy Player. So it didn't hurt your hands, the buttons were easier to reach, and it was just a lot more enjoyable to play. Um, so, 
with all of that, now that we've gone through the most obvious, right, let's break down a little bit and get into the magical world of Frankenstein and our Game Boy right after these tunes. So the world was a lot different in the late 80s and early 90s, right? The idea of deep mobile gaming seemed like witchcraft and to some like a very distant fantasy. However, in 1989, Nintendo would release the Game Boy. A very, very basic machine that allowed you to play games on the go, but at a price. This price, of course, was AA batteries. You needed to have a portable solution... You need to have a portable power solution to power a portable gaming device. Batteries. The Game Boy Manual estimates that you can get around 15 to 20 hours of game time with your four, four, four AA batteries. But what if you're playing Mole Mania and 15 to 20 hours just isn't enough? What if you're on Jimbe and you're nearing the end of the game, but that screen is starting to do that flow, that slow fade away, and you know the batteries are dying, and it's just mere seconds until that screen is gone, and that little red light goes from a dim red to off. What if mom and dad won't buy you more batteries? This was my problem growing up. Mom and dad never bought me batteries. I had to, I would fish them out of the controllers and anywhere else that I could find possible for batteries. Well, there's an answer. It is called the DMG-03. Or in other words, the rechargeable battery pack. This peripheral allowed you to plug a battery pack into your Game Boy, giving you about five extra hours of game time if you were on the go. Uh, maybe you were at home. I played my Game Boy a ton at home, right? And pre-Super Nintendo, I didn't have a Super Game Boy, obviously, right? Super Nintendo wasn't out yet. So what I ended up doing, if I didn't have batteries, was I would plug the battery pack into the Game Boy, then the battery pack into the wall. So it would just I would just pull the power as it was recharging. Unlimited Game Boy action. Maybe I wanted to put some... I, mean, I, had, I had the urge to play Spider-Man 1 when I was a wee lad. I'm talking like 5. I made some bad life choices, I know. But unlimited Game Boy playing action. That's how it worked back then. So, the first version of this thing would be gray with some purple lettering. And it had a belt clip on it. So you could look cool while playing cool. Walking down the street playing Spider-Man 1. However, the biggest problem with this peripheral was that it weighed a ton. This thing was probably the heaviest thing that you would ever encounter on the Game Boy. Um, but, you know, you gotta make sacrifices sometimes. And honestly, you could snag one of these bad boys back in the day for $30 
Which, thinking about it, bargain. Absolute bargain. If you ha think about it, batteries cost what? Five, ten bucks? If you don't buy the rechargeables, you know, over time, you know, that adds up. Like, those Duracells, those Energizers, yeah, they add up. You pay 30 bucks for a rechargeable battery that lets you get 1,000 recharges for five, maybe six extra hours of gameplay. That's what we're talking about. I had one of these growing up because, um, like I mentioned in previous episodes, uh, my family was always on the run. I grew up in a military family, so we, we moved quite a bit very early on in my life. And, you know, I went to school. I played Pokemon with the boys. Uh, I played Mario with the boys. Um, and I grew up in a poor area. Family didn't have a ton of money, so we never, you know, I batteries were just always a no. You know, I was like, no, you don't need them. Okay, go outside and play. Okay, go play in the mud puddle. Go, go play in the mud puddle. All right. So, um, yeah, I mean, they broke down. They got me this recharge thing here, and I played Game Boy nonstop. And now I would recharge it before school. Take it to school and play with my big old recharge thing. Maybe charge it during school. Like you know, we just, we just I, you had it, and I still I still have mine. Growing up, I still have my original charging pack. It has my name on it still and permanent marker. You can still make out some of the Game Boy lettering. Um, however, it is pretty beat up, pretty scratched up, uh, but it still works. Twenty some years later. Um, but since we're on the topic of portability, you always want to make sure you had a few extra games with you. There's nothing worse than sitting on the school bus and you're playing, what, what are we playing this time around? You're playing Super Mario Land 2. Like, no one wants to play that game, right? You're like, hey, you know what? This was the last game of my Game Boy. My brother probably was playing it because my brother's lame. And decided to play really bad video games. So, okay, whatever. I just picked up my Game Boy left. Well, I gotta play Super Mario Land 2. But, you know, across the uh, bus aisle, you hear little Jimmy playing Kirby's Dream Land 1. You're just like, oh, man. I would do anything right now to play Kirby's Dream Land 1. Really wish I brought some extra games with me. I wish I threw them in my, in my backpack or in my pocket. Well, let me tell you something. Nintendo... And other companies came out with so many, so many different types of carrying cases for the Game Boy for this specific reason. To carry around your games and to keep your Game Boy quote unquote safe. So, because you don't want to have a Spud's Adventure in your jean pocket. You come home from a long stage work. Throw your jeans in the wash, and you don't want to wash. You don't want to wash that Spuds Adventure cartridge, especially in 2020. <laughs> so, uh, the carry cases range between like a small satchel, um, being a, clo a cloth satchel with some plastic inside to keep it structured, to a giant, and I'm talking a large, Game Boy shaped hard hard case. Uh, with latches to lock the case or the the covers in place, um, 
Even to this day though, carrying cases for systems are still fairly popular due to the increase of popularity in lands and competitions and just hanging out with friends in general. Like some people take their PlayStations, their Nintendo Switches, you know, they're probably not Game Boys, but maybe they're Game Boys. Uh, they're always on the go and they always want to bring it with them, you know, to share the experience and have that bonding moment with their friends or family or whomever they're wanting to play with. Um, but I do own a few of these Game Boy cases. Uh, I actually have one next to me. It's the one that I use most often. Uh, it's a, it's a very long case. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's probably around like... 14 or 15 inches long. Um, it holds the old gray brick Game Boy. And it will hold one other peripheral. I typically put my Light Boy in there. Uh, we'll go over the Light Boy next episode. It can hold a few batteries. And it can hold up to, I think it's like 5 or 6 games. Can't hold a ton of games, but it's enough. right? Uh, and it has little sliders that holds the lid closed. And it has a foam inside to keep everything secured, not scratched to get banged up, and you can actually remove the foam pieces to put your game manuals in. Uh, it's gray with red lettering that says Nintendo Game Boy. Very basic. The inside of it is nasty green. It's ugly, but it does the job and it does the job well. Um, I do have some other ones. I have a cloth satchel one that holds four games and just the OG brick. That's it. Um, and I don't have the big Game Boy case, but I do want one. I don't care how big they are and how dumb they look. I do want one. Um, <laughs> so, but, you know, even though they are bulky, they're not really worth that extra effort of carrying around. Like, that's just one extra thing you have to worry about now, right? It's like, oh, I gotta carry around this big old Game Boy suitcase thing here with my Game Boy in it. Like, cool. How cool do I look walking down the street? By the way, you look really, you look real cool if you're doing that. And um, but the cool, the nice things about these cases, in my opinion, now as an adult trying to organize my life, I actually like these cases a lot because they make organizing your Game Boy stuff a lot easier, and it makes it look a lot better too. And I'm not talking about like throwing everything into a box into a corner with the Game Boy thing on top of it. Like I said, like I have one of the Game Boy things next to me, and with it I have my old brick with a Light Boy, and I have this the the five or six Game Boy games that I play the most often. And the reason I have that all in there is because I flip those five Game Boy games and I pop them into my Super Game Boy Two often enough. If I don't have my EverDrive in, um, my my cloth satchel ones, I have my extra. Game Boys in there because I don't want them to be damaged. My OG original gray brick Game Boy that I had growing up sits in one of this one of the cloth satchels because I don't want it to get damaged. I don't want it to get more yellowed than it already is, etc. etc. So they do make a nice storage case to not let your stuff get damaged from the rustling around of moving boxes or just moving or whatever your life chaos may bring. Uh, and it does keep, you know, it does allow you to keep some games organized if you're like me that does play Game Boy fairly often still. So something else that uh, would come to light for the Game Boy is the ability to play with your friends, right? When we played the NES, when we played the Super Nintendo, 
or the Famicom, Super Famicom, wherever you are in the world. We always, if we had a friend over, we always wanted to play with our friends. Most cases we could, right? You could always play the two-player games on the NES and Famicom. And later on, you could do the, the four-player games with the NES Satellite or whatever else that, that came out after that as well, too. Thank you, Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> um, but early on in the Game Boy's life cycle, if you wanted to play a multiplayer game or if you want to play a game with your friends, you either huddled in a circle at recess and y'all pulled out your Game Boys and played the same game, or y'all huddled around in recess and you handed the Game Boy over to a friend every time you would die or beat a level or whatever it may be, you'd have to pass that Game Boy around. Well, what if I told you that recess is about to change? Come DMG-04, the Game Link Cable. The first generation of these cables would have the large connector ends to fit into uh, the original Gray Brick Game Boy. If you actually pull your Gray Brick Game Boy out to a Game Boy Color or a Game Boy Pocket, you can see the very vast, the, the very big difference uh, in connection cables on the sides. Um, this Game Link cable was a way to link two Game Boy systems together to play with or against each other. However, both of you, both of you had to have the game. You couldn't just feed or leech or pirate off one or the other. You both had to have the game. Uh, which, when it came to Pokemon, everyone had that game, so it was not a problem. Uh, but you could tell by the box cover if a game was going to be two players or not. Uh, it had a little square, typically on the right side of the box. Uh, Black square with either two two people playing the Game Boy or one person playing the Game Boy. Um, but in the 19, in 1990 and 1991, depending where you were in the world, there was going to be a game that would be released that would change all of this. All of it. And that's right, I'm talking about F1 Race. Did you think I was going to say Bomberman? I'm saying Super Nintendo. In 1990-1991, F1 Race would be released for the Game Boy, and with it came DMG-07, the four-player adapter, a.k.a. the four-score. This now allowed you and three three other friends to play games together but don't get too excited about this only a very very small selection of games allowed for anything beyond two players if you're looking for a game that goes beyond two players you're probably looking for Faceball 2000 because this allows you to play up to 16 players simultaneously which means you would need seven four scores to do this I own one. Find me six more. <laughs> we'll all play baseball together. <laughs> um, as the Game Boy would age and evolve, as did the size of the system and the cable. With the release of the Game Boy Pocket, the link cable, now known as MGB-004, uh, would contain the smaller connectors for linking 
but many of these cables honestly came with adapters that you could pop onto the end to connect still to the OG Game Boy in itself. Um, the next cable to come after this would be the MGB-010 or 010. This is the Universal Game Link cable. This is the Game Link cable that most of the people in the mid-90s are going to be more associated with. More like, okay, yeah, I probably had one of these growing up. Or, yeah, I got one of these with my, with my Game Boy printer, which we'll touch base on next episode. That is all we have for this episode. I've rambled on for nearly an hour just about the common accessories, peripherals for the Game Boy. Um, the next time that we, next time that we meet, we might just have to have a little kiss. With that, if you're going to kiss, you can find me, E Bloody Candy, at Twitch and Twitter and YouTube at E Bloody Candy. You can find my co-host, Moolah, M-O-E-L-L-E-U-H, at Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube. And you can find our fantastic, wonderful producer, Sprinty Legs, at Sprinty Legs on Twitch and Twitter, Legs on YouTube, and you can check out what she's doing in her spare time at www.sprintylegs.com. We also have a Patreon where if you would like to support us monetarily, uh, you can do so. We super, super duper appreciate it. It's how we're able to pay some fees, pay legs for her hard work, amongst other things. Um, Once we hit about $20 a month steady, Mo and I will be live streaming our podcast episodes, which means... You will either see me showered or unshowered, which is going to be a fantastic surprise depending on the episode and how I'm feeling. Um, If you're not into the whole subscription-based thing but still want to support us monetarily, we do have a PayPal as well, too. Um, The only problem with PayPal is that it doesn't tie in with Discord. So if you do donate via PayPal, please, please, please let Mo, myself, or Legs know we want to reward you. We want to thank you for your contribution and as always monetary support is never never needed if you want to support us honestly the best things that you can do is listen to our podcast episodes leave us reviews on whatever platform you're on typically the apple ipod uh, the apple podcast thing or the Google Podcasting, whichever that is out there that you're listening to, uh, giving us five-star ratings no matter how great or bad the episode is. We've never had a bad episode at all, so they're all five-star episodes, so it's going to be a really easy review. Just be like, five stars, best episode I've ever heard, times 34 because that's how many light episodes we've had now. Easy peasy. Um, otherwise, uh, all, all of our stuff is on YouTube, so if SoundCloud... Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Sky Podcast, Dirt Podcast, what other other podcast services there are out there in the world. 
We are all on YouTube. Legs and Mo put a ton of time into getting our YouTube channel set up and the videos out. Uh, there is a little bit of gameplay footage with the games and everything else. You can kind of get to see what we're doing and what we're talking about. It's all generally a good time. Uh, and you can find all of this information on www.thisisgameboy.com. The next time that you get to hear from me, I'll be joined with Mo, and we will be discussing Asterix. Thank you all for listening, and see you soon. We might just have to have a little kiss.